This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Saki. And thank you for tuning in to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway and, and David Hobbs Honda, Steve Zotke, along with Jeff Orlowski. Talking racing on a Saturday afternoon in in fact, let's talk a little bit more racing. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Tony DeZeno. Tony, welcome to the show again. Hey, guys. Well, good, to have, good to be back. Thank you again for having me on. Oh, I would love it when you come on the show. It's always interesting. And uh, I guess, where should we start? Uh, should we start uh, maybe a little bit of Sebring? Tell us the Sebring from yeah. your pers- perspective. Yeah, sure. Um, another different Sebring in the books. Um, rain seems to be the thing that's peppering IMSA to start the year with uh, two really wet portions of races at Daytona and Sebring. But on the bright side, whereas Daytona, I think, was kind of, I want to say, ruined by the rain in the second half of the race, pretty much from the, the morning to the end and, and kind of an early red flag here. You had rain to start the race, and there were some comers and goers, and then as the conditions got better, then the the whole complexion of the thing changed. And it really took what was kind of a tough start and made it a a really fun, uh, long afternoon that that saw a lot of evolution throughout the field. And then uh, last week, of course, uh, we had IndyCar racing at the Circuit of the Americas. um, And what did you... What was the kind of the the feedback you were getting in the world of auto racing with uh, IndyCar uh, finally making its first appearance at the Circuit of the Americas? I had a number of chats this week with uh, just kind of reflecting on on how it went and and goods and bads from it. And I think there's there's two things to consider. One is, you know, everyone's going to look at it and think, we got to compare F1 to IndyCar. Mm -hmm. You can't really do that. And I think this was always going to be a different kind of race. It was going to feature, you know, cars that are a little more heavier, that have less horsepower, that have pushed to pass rather than DRS, as we saw. And what you got was a, a really entertaining event that's spiced up based on when um, when the tires fell off, there was three or four different strategies in play. And then ultimately the one yellow flag that, that came out, which was as a result of two guys coming together off the track at turn nine, uh, 19 rather, uh, that changed the whole complexion where guys that didn't pit when the window opened got caught out and, and, you know, they were complaining afterwards, but you know, you, you live by the yellow, you die by the yellow, you got to know the rules going in. And, and that's kind of what, what wound up happening before a pretty, pretty crazy finish. And it's one of those situations where, you know, you're going to lose a race that way, but if you're running as well as you think you're running, you're going to win a race that way too, aren't you? 
Absolutely. And, you know, for Colton Herta's team to make the strategy call they did, they weren't going to get ahead of Power and Rossi on pace anyway. So you're going to try to, you know, do the undercut strategy where if you go early, then you get a better outlap on hot tires. You might be able to, to jump ahead. And as it turned out, you know, they played the strategy game right. I, I had to laugh at the fact that Brian Barnhart's car benefited and Will Power's car when it went mm-hmm. the at the exact same point. So uh, no rain involved there, but I got a chuckle out of that. Well, what did you think of the of the the no limits uh, in regards to the runoff area? Pretty much, cars could run where they wanted to, and in the past, Formula One has not had that rule. Do you, do you think it, there's a possibility of Formula One actually adapting that when they come back in the fall? I don't think they will. F one's pretty stringent on on track limits because so many of the their designs are really they've all been dealt by and. and designed by the same person Herman Tilke and so they've all had this kind of character of really long areas and they and they police it what might be different there is just how the uh, the race directing evolves after you know the unfortunate sad news of Charlie Whiting's passing you know by that point in the season will there be a, a consistency or, or standards established by the new form of F1 race control as to the IndyCar question I didn't have a problem with it I didn't think that you could really assign blame or apportion violations because you have, you know, if you have two wheels off, four wheels off, whatever, you might have some guys get penalized and others not, and then you don't have consistency. So by not having the limits, you didn't run into a consistency issue where certain people might have got docked and others might have got away with it. Uh, with the IndyCar series moving uh, forward. We have uh, Alabama coming up, and of course, Long Beach, and then the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, would would the would an oval before the Indianapolis be a plus to the series? Do you think? It's hard to say. I mean, they've they've only had Phoenix in recent years, and of course, that fell by the wayside after last year. Or ISM Raceway, excuse me. Now that that's the official term of it, and it's never been. You know, it, it was always Phoenix, even though it was never actually in Phoenix. Right. Um, I think that there's not enough translatable from an oval before Indianapolis, and there is going to be a test beforehand too. There's usually an open test. I think it's end of April. I don't know the exact date, um, which will be kind of a warm-up act anyway. And that's almost kind of become the unofficial kickoff to the month of May before even the Grand Prix. You know, we had it with the Alonzo test a couple of years ago. That was that was huge from a social media and, and you know, international following standpoint. And, and last year, there was a lot of interest in that, too. One thing to note there is if they do if they are able to stream that that pre-test is that might be something that's not on the on the gold package on the NBC gold package so maybe that gives people an appetizer so I don't have a problem with it I mean I think it's it's you know you got a really interesting test with you know St. Pete being early Coda really a different kind of race and then Barber which needs kind of a bounce back after being rain affected and rain delayed last year and then the the crown jewel street race of the year which is Long Beach how, how much do you think Indianapolis is, is gonna um uh, be helped by having uh, NBC having their, having them behind the Indianapolis 500. I guess there's been a lot of comparisons made with the, that uh, what NBC was able to do with the Kentucky Derby, and kind of that, that for many years was kind of like yeah yeah Kentucky Derby. Now it's kind of it, it's kind of regained its luster, and uh, is is that something that Indianapolis is looking forward uh, to with uh, NBC being in the mix? 
Yeah, and I'm really excited to see what NBC will do with it. I mean, just with their announcements they've already had, like or hater, you know you're going to want to watch whatever Danica Patrick has to say. Mike Tirico gives the event kind of really that big major event feel that just, you know, you have them for Olympics, you have them for a Super Bowl, you have them for golf, you know, whatever else tree goes on. It just, there's a, there's a gravitas there. Mm-hmm. You still have your core IndyCar people, which is, you know, your same booth. That's not getting changed. You have a deep pit reporter rotation. Not sure if it's going to be four or five, or they might have some for the Grand Prix, some for qualifying or, or whatever. You'll probably have Rutledge. You'll have Dale Jr. and Hart, which now that they've, you know, tried them out in kind of a foreign setting at the Rolex 24. I thought that helped that broadcast because, you know, they're not the same hardcore people that, you know, they're not the same 300, 400,000 people that watch IndyCar full time. They mm-hmm. have a much bigger following and you're going to have so much pre-race, so much post-race and just all the bells and whistles that they're going to try to pull out to make it feel, you know, refreshed, you know, for a race that isn't going to have a ton of difference. I think there's going to be a little you know, slightly different arrow to try to affect what was really difficult to pass last year, but I think they're going to do a good job presenting it. So it's it's kind of one of the most anticipated things this year. Yeah, I'm kind of excited. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be interesting because in the past, it seems like almost as ABC was kind of going through the paces and you kind of had that feeling for the last few years. So it'll be it. It's going to be interesting to see a, a network that wants to be there, that wants to promote it and is, is kind of excited. And it, it's like anything. You know, sometimes change is good, you know, and I think this is what we're seeing uh, with NBC in Indianapolis this year. It should be interesting to see and just what how, you know, those ratings can, which have been creeping back up, how much more of a, of a bounce they can get. Yeah, and I think ABC, if anything, had to deal with the crutch of history where, you know, they had a gold standard with Paul Page and Sam Posey and Uncle Bobby, and you're never going to be able to replicate that. NBC's tried to to put that together with Lee, PT, and and Townsend. I mean, the only question is, is there going to be a bug on PT or something? Like, don't bring up 2002, don't bring up 2002. I will laugh profusely if Elio's in the lead for his fourth and it's PT <laughs> calling calling the race that PT ties the, the record or sorry that Elio ties the record, excuse me. But uh yeah, I'd be hilarious if that happened. Yeah, and, and for those who who complain about T V coverage or you know, their their situations, I mean the biggest pet peeve I have, it's a really small one, is is the in car cameras that are mounted on the on the top of the car whether it's indie car or stock car racing i i you know the 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 360 i think they move it too much i kind of like it facing forward because then you can kind of get a better perspective of how the car is handling in that i guess it's maybe because i'm just too hardcore for that but i i do think they kind of fool around with it too much that's a minor thing but if you ever have a criticism of of uh, how you feel auto racing television coverage is go to YouTube and go like watch the 1977 Indianapolis 500 with Jim McKay and Jackie Stewart and you'll feel a lot better about the coverage today. <laughs> See my biggest complaint with coverage and whether it's Indy or NASCAR is when they uh when they play the in-car audio uh, the conversations between the crew chief and you know uh, and the driver 
half the time I can't understand a, a word that they're saying. And I wish that they were subtitled uh, because, you know, I find myself rewinding it three times and then I just give up. So, you know, I would love to hear I would love to hear it, but I just I can't understand it. So subtitle it. Get somebody to type it out for me. Tony, what's your biggest complaint? Not graphics. I think one of the current people in the NASCAR on Fox booth who may or may not be headed toward retirement within the next year or so. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think my biggest gripe is the challenge between how do you balance the hardcore versus the casual on a presentation. And I think whereas the NBC shows have been very hardcore to start, and I think that's helped, I worry that they might have to venture too much into the casual, uh, certainly with the IndyCar Grand Prix a couple of weeks earlier, because that'll be the first NBC network show of the year. That'll be a really good taste for how the presentation might differ. And I think you, there's such a fine line between how do you talk down or, or how do you explain it kind of a normal level, but not too normal to where it's, it's, you know, dumbed down to the point of like, well, this is, this isn't helping because all you're doing is you're just, you're hurting the end result at that point you know and i think i think quite honestly abc struggled with that the last few years because their their people that they had on the ground were not bad it was just that they had to explain it and kind of present the shows in such a way that it didn't present the series as accurately or as uh as technically as maybe it could have yeah but i would give them a few weeks because they're gonna have to sit there and dumb it down for the new audience and all that kind of stuff that you know, that they hope to bring in. So I would imagine the first few weeks will be very elementary. And then after that, I think they'll get their sea legs and move more towards, uh, you know, the coverage that that we as uh, experts, quote unquote, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, are used to and enjoy. Tony, can you wait? uh, Can you hang over for one more segment? Yep. Awesome. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking. Formula One is in Bahrain, and I also wanted to get Tony's uh, take on the new NASCAR schedule, which we plugged in our promos, but so much stuff has happened between then. I know. We haven't even touched on. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the 2020 NASCAR schedule and Formula One in Bahrain coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobbs Honda. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Tony DeZeno. Tony, welcome back to the show. Appreciate you spending time with us on this Saturday afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, NASCAR, we've been hearing big, big changes. A fundamental change to the schedule for 2020. Jeff, let me let me ask you first. What was your first impression of the NASCAR schedule review? Uh, for the most part, I liked it. You know, they, uh, you know, are killing some tradition, moving Daytona off the 4th of July and uh, stuff like that. I do like the fact that they're doubling up Pocono. Uh, you know, last few, couple years we've talked about how awful those races usually are. So 
The fact that you're going to fit both Poconos in the same weekend, I think, is good. Um, you know, it's interesting that they're taking a two-week break uh, in the season for the Olympics and stuff like that, kind of as a, uh, you know. A, a reset, uh, maybe, kind of. I like that. Well, you can call it reset. You can call it uh, sucking up to uh, NBC, you know, however you want to label it. But, um you know, it's definitely different. It's definitely different. I do like that uh, Miami is next year is not going to be the championship race. Maybe, maybe uh, NBC said uh, you don't move those races. You guys are going to be on CNBC. Yeah, it's definitely possible. Could have been. It, it could have been. So, you know, for the most part, I I I don't mind the changes that were made. I think they're going to be uh, good and better for the sport. It's going to take a little bit for me to get used to not having Atlanta as the second race of the year, though. Tony, what about you? Atlanta is not the biggest uh, change from this. I mean, there's there's so many. I mean, moving the West Coast swing forward, I like. Um, I, I would almost, I would actually agree with Jenna Fryer's suggestion that she's almost surprised that Homestead isn't the second race to keep everyone in Florida for another time rather than going back. Mm-hmm. It's. There are. It is going to be weird to see how Homestead works in its spot. The Brickyard moving back to July. I mean, the whole reason it was moved off of where it was in, in August and end of July for the longest time was, oh, it's too hot. And now, oh, it's moved to July 4th when everyone's getting out of Indianapolis. So it's just, I, I don't know. I mean, there's, I think I like the, I think I like the Martinsville bits more than most because with that being now the, the, the second to last race of the year, which is a cutoff race. So you're going to go to the championship depending on how Martinsville goes. If you think it's been bad with the, the Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott stuff and the, the true X and Logano last year, now having that as a cutoff race, I love that. So mm-hmm. I really like how the playoffs looks. Um, that second bit of the playoffs is going to be nuts. You've got Vegas, Talladega, and the Roval all in a row. So it's like I think that increases the importance of Vegas because that's going to be the one non-crapshoot race where it's like if you win that, you're good, and if you don't, you're going to be sweating bullets for the next two weeks. So um, as to the schedule point with the, the two-week break, I think that's almost an entirely Olympics decision. There's so much of a, a pecking order, and, and really, if you look at it, NBC has three major motorsports series on with NASCAR, with IndyCar, and with IMSA. How do those other two series get affected then around that same time frame? So kind of big picture thinking to, to watch as we have the first element of how 2020 will look with uh, a vast, vastly different bit uh, for, the, for the Cup Series. Yeah, with the, with the Pocono, you know, basically, you know, it's two races, but a single going basically to a single weekend. I'm kind of interested to see now. Do they, as as a track, do, do they try and put more emphasis now on that IndyCar weekend? In the past, it was kind of like, okay, it was the redheaded stepchild because we we got our two powerful NASCAR races here, and that's just kind of like a little addition. Now it's basically become their second weekend. So are they really going to kind of put the impetus on it to really kind of promote it like they would that second uh, Cup weekend, Tony? I think they have to do that for this year because if ABC Supply doesn't renew its its uh, sponsorship contract of the race, I worry that it could be it could go away at the end of the year. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, two, there's there's a very tenuous nature to Pocono, and I, when I one thing I hope NASCAR does, I know they say, oh, we want to keep them both 400 miles, 400 miles in two races back to back. No one wants to see 800 miles of Pocono, and if it rains, you're going to get 800 miles in one day or something something crazy like that. I mean, maybe if you have that as like a trial run to say, hey, you have 
one shorter race and one longer race or something, maybe that keeps the attention spans a little bit more. I mean, like a 200 and a 300 miler there would be would be great or something like that. Or so you're not over testing guys. Or you can play with the Southern boys and say it's a 500k. Oh, good, it's a 500. You know, yeah. they, they don't. You know, 317 miles. You know, it it works. I mean, and, and you look at you know the 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 newer tracks. That's what they would do. I mean, the you know especially Phoenix. That's yeah, it's Phoenix 500 or well, 500k. So 300 or 12 is it 312 or 317 laps is a lot easier. Or 300 miles. I think at Pocono is a lot more attainable for the for the fan in the stand and the TV audience. I think that yeah, the 400 or 500. There's, uh, a, there's a lot of crapshoots, so I mean, like yeah. I mentioned in the playoffs and then Daytona to end the regular season, too. Um, I forget where I saw this this week. It was saying, oh, well, Stenhouse at the cutoff race for the last race before the playoffs, that, that'll be fun. So, um, yeah, some interesting changes, and I think it's the first step in, in even more revamp 2021 because that's when the contracts with the existing tracks will come off and you could possibly see new venues, not just new shuffled dates going on the schedule. Yeah, great point about Stenhouse. You thought that he was uh, running bumper cars every year on the restrictor plates uh, before. Just wait until that's his last chance to get into the playoffs, and then uh, all bets are off. Well, Sparky's wish was always that Daytona you know, was the first and last race of the year in, in a kind of roundabout way it is now for the regular season. So I think that's an interesting way of, of you know bookending the, the regular season with the two Daytona races. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So, Tony, Formula One, Bahrain, we have a Ferrari sighting. We do, and they've uh, they've arose, or awakened from their slumbers of Melbourne where they didn't seem to have the pace everyone was projecting them to in, in preseason testing. Uh, qualifying happened this morning, and it, we're, we're at a golden age of kind of young guys i mean with colton herta winning his first indycar race last week and now charles leclerc uh getting his first pole position this morning and convincingly too not not by a, a small margin but by a solid two three tenths over sebastian vettel um look out i mean you know it's it's I, I ran through some stats earlier this week we've only had eight different race winners in formula one since 2013 drivers and We've only had like two or three new winners in that same time frame with uh, with Botas and, and Ricardo. So, you know, Leclerc is is very well positioned to get his first victory tomorrow if he can get a good start um, and not you know hold on to his tires throughout the stint. Yeah, uh, David Hobbs and I have been very high on, on Charles Leclerc, and, and you know it, it was a no brainer that he would step up from the junior team to the number two spot. And it'll be interesting to see just how how well he does. And uh, in a, it's a surprise, but in a way, I, th- I think it's not a surprise that he was able to to show you know what what a talented young driver he is. Uh, the other kind of surprise of the year is the speed from the Haas, Haas team this year. Yeah, they're they're looking like a clear best of the rest in the midfield, and they're pushing Rose even you know if one of the mm-hmm. red bulls has issues i mean max Verstappen, and i neglected to mention him earlier as the young winner but max has become a clear leader in that team and, and at the moment gasly's had two tough races since his promotion so haas is kind of in this this perfect we need to poise we need to capitalize on our opportunities moment because you know they look at the points that got away last year you know the early races that probably cost them fourth in the championship so if they get off to a good start 
this year, and they, they certainly did it in Australia with one result. If they can get two here, that sets them on a good foot for the, the foreseeable future, So it's, which is good to see because, I mean, that they've, they've executed their resources well, and you know, they've played smartly within those guidelines, and they, they have two guys that are veteran guys that aren't, don't make a ton of mistakes, you know, at least as much as they used to. Yeah, you have uh, Magnuson, uh, who qualified sixth, and Grosjean, who qualified eighth, but is uh, apparently was handed a three-place grid uh, penalty uh, for impeding the greatest name, I think, in Formula 1 today, and that's Lando Norris in qualifying. So Grosjean will start 11th. Tell us a bit about uh, Lando Norris. Really, really sharp talent. Um, he was very good in the Formula 2 ranks. You know, you look at what Leclerc's done, Lando was in the same boat. He had a really good battle last year with George Russell, who unfortunately is wasting away at Williams this year. McLaren seems to have the, the right, you know, perfect perfect timing for Fernando Alonso, mm-hmm. right? Finally, after he retires is when McLaren gets good. Lando's made Q3 now in the first two races of, of his career, which is outstanding. He and Alonso were actually teamed in the same car at the Rolex in 2018, and Lando was faster than Fernando in the same car uh, in, a, in a P2 spec Ligier for United Autosports. So very highly rated. Um, with Lewis closer to the end of his career than the beginning, Lando is going to probably move into the next great British hope type thing. Uh, and, and it's one of those things where, you know, he could be in a Leclerc type situation where he'll he'll get some solid points finishes this year, and that well positions him in you know a year or two to maybe go into one of the top teams, or hopefully by that point McLaren's back to that a top team itself, you know, and not just occasionally punching above its weight in the midfield if they have the reliability. Yeah, the the, the Williams situation is certainly it's sad, but it's also kind of interesting. It's, obviously, it's a a bit of a soap opera over there. But with with the, with the two tri- drivers, George Russell, I mean, I understand Mercedes' point of view, where you want the kid to step up to Formula One, you kind of kind of find a place for him to get some seat time. It's not the best situation, but at least this way, he's kind of learning to feel, albeit not maybe the best situation with with Williams. But you know, he's getting used to Formula One power, getting used to the kind of just the whole weekend, getting acclimated that way and then with with Kubica who was just awful in Australia really off the pace and and because of some testing issues Williams had in the offseason really wasn't able to kind of build himself up to it but he was only a, a, a just a couple tenths behind Russell in qualifying uh, what's your opinion on with pairing up of uh, you know the veteran Kubica hasn't been in a car Formula One car in eight eight nine years with Russell a bit of a tough situation because it is an intriguing driver pairing. You have this great comeback story with Kibitz after his rally accident having severe arm damage and you didn't know if he was going to live, let alone drive a car again. Um, the fact he's even made it to this point is remarkable, but the sad part is you worry if it if this time has passed. I mean, eight, nine years is a long time to be at a competitive F1 machine or you rarely see comebacks of guys that have been out more than two to three years tops and in in russell's case you're right he's in kind of a low pressure learning year but how much does that do psychologically to go from you're winning races you're winning the championship to you're barely able to beat your teammate who hasn't been in an f1 car granted his talent was very high at his peak but uh the problems there are more symptomatic of where they are organizationally where mm-hmm. Their patty low has been placed on on leave. 
their car was delayed, and they're not going to really have any updates until they get back to the European season after the, you know two, three more races. So, uh, tough situation and really tough sledding for them. You know, I, I know there was talk, oh, could Esteban Ocon go there? He, why would he want to go there? I'd rather take a year out of this out of the seat than, than waste away for you're at a tail end team where it right. kills your reputation inadvertently. Can, can Mercedes do anything to, I know there's some, some legal issues, you know, within the rules and that, but I mean, can, can Mercedes help out Williams in any way? Williams has been very adamant that they want to maintain their, their independence as their own constructor and not rely on it. It's a classic difference between them and Haas. Haas is like, oh, let's make as much use of Ferrari as we can sure. within the regulations. And they are the clear fourth best team. Williams was the third or fourth best team at the start of the turbo hybrid year mm-hmm. in 2014. And they've slowly regressed from third back to fifth, to eighth, ninth, and now at the tail end, Charlie's. You know, Felipe Massa and Valtteri Bottas was a heck of a lineup, but with a lot better personnel. You've seen a personnel change. You've seen a driver lineup change. You've seen car delay changes. And the end result is Williams is back to where it was in probably 2011 or 2013, where they were, you know, ninth or tenth in the points. But there's no way of them recovering because the midfield is just so much further ahead. It's almost like hang on until you get to the next round of regulations and hope that you do a better job. So tough sledding ahead, unfortunately. Yeah, very much so. And and uh, you know, a team that's been basically around since 1970, it's sad. And you know, when people think of Williams, they think of you know, you, th- you know, Alan Jones and Nelson Piquet and Nigel Mansell and and, and those cars. And it, it's certainly an unfortunate situation. But yeah, like you said, 2014, they were they were humping. I mean, there was there were a couple times on the podium. They were. They really seem to be that uh, that B team, which was, and Formula One. It, it's you know not the easiest thing to do, and sadly, yeah, there's just been this erosion year after year, getting worse and worse. So, hopefully, they can turn it around. Tony, we certainly appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a delight to chat with you. And uh, what's next on your schedule? Uh, next one for me is Long Beach, which is always one of my favorite weekends of the year. I mean, there's usually the, and you know from being out there as many times mm-hmm. as you have, between the RDC dinner and the, you know, the IMSA, first IMSA IndyCar combo weekend of the year. It's just, I, I, I understand why certain sanctioning bodies don't want to pair up, but man, if you're a fan or if you're covering the event, you're not going to get better bang for the buck than when you combine those series on on one deal it's such a great ticket it's such a great weekend um so very looking forward to that in two weeks so yeah barber barber being ahead of long beach is throwing me this year and i'm sure i'm not not the only one uh looking forward to it and uh yeah looking forward to chatting with you again and uh we'll definitely see you down in indianapolis in the month of may correct uh most likely but stay stay tuned all right very good thank you it's tony dezino joining us on the great midwest bank hotline Looking to buy, build, renovate, or refinance in 2019? Look no further and call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank, providing simply local common sense lending to your community since 1935. Coming up next, we'll talk with Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. We'll talk about the uh, the race in Coda and the surprise, kind of a bit of a surprise winner there. Some young bucks, and then also get our racing predictions on the final inspection show. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.